where we're going to reflect just for a few moments on the Christmas story, which is the gospel story that we just sang. And I'd like to do that from, once again, the gospel of Luke in chapter 1, and starting in verse 26. If you have a Bible with you, you can always open and follow. I'll put the, the words up here in just a moment on the screen. So if you don't, you can just follow right there. This is the angel's announcement to Mary nine months before the birth of Jesus, the long-expected king, the long-expected. I see uh, kids here this morning. Thanks for being here, kids. I know we don't have our classes this morning. Thanks for being here. I'm wondering, kids, how many of you got to open presents already this morning? Anybody get to do? Oh, some of you did. All right. Anybody have to wait? Is anybody waiting? A few. Yeah. Sorry. I made my family wait. <laughs> it's cruel and unusual, isn't it? So, you know what it's like waiting, right, kids? You've been waiting for Christmas. Kids are waiting to open those gifts. Waiting for this gift, this moment. Well, let's... Uh, Think of that in terms of hundreds of years of waiting for this gift, the gift of heaven, uh, Christ, the long-expected, the long-waited one. Last Sunday in our service here, for those part of Crossroads, we finished our series, our study of the book of Kings, which is in the Old Testament. The book of Kings covers the Israel's history, the nation of Israel for 400 years who were ruled by various kings. We looked at that for 54 Sundays, 49 chapters in that book. And I said last week that the main takeaway of that big book of the Old Testament was the need and the longing for a better king. It's the main takeaway. We need a better king. We long for a better king. That book ended with the whole nation of Israel in utter ruin, taken captive, hundreds of miles away, exiled. Every king failed. That's how the book ended. Longing for this better king, the long-expected king. And that longing that the book of Kings creates for us is not merely just subjective, but it is based on God's objective promise to David, one of the first great kings. We've reviewed that many times. God gave a promise to David, the king, that his throne, his kingdom would be forever, that there would be one of his descendants who will reign forever. That promise, one of the great promises of the Bible. None of the kings in the book of Kings fulfilled that. All of them failed. So we come away saying, we, we need a better king. Where is this king? Where is this descendant of David who's going to come? And that's what we have here. Now we might ask, I do, why in God's purpose do we need 40 kings, 400 years of rather miserable history and utter failure before he fulfills this promise? Why do we need all of that? Or you might put it in a more simple way, as I, you can just look up here at my Bible. As I look at my Bible, we could say it like this. Why, why do we need all of this <laughs> before we get to this, right? This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. Why do we need 
all of this history and seeming failure before we finally get to the promise. Well, there are many probably answers to that question and some we will never know. But I can give you what I think is the main reason for all of this and all those kings is that we would adore Jesus as the Messiah King. That's the whole point of the Bible. It's the whole point of this big story. Ultimately, that we would adore and know Jesus as the King. God's eternal design through all of this long redemptive history is the preeminence of His Son. That He would come to have first place in everything. I'm quoting Colossians 1, 18 there. We need 400 years of kings who failed. Some were good. But we need those years to understand who Jesus is and how vastly superior He is. How vastly superior. Though the kings that we looked at, including David, first great king, they prefigure Jesus in some way. They foreshadow him. He is unlike anyone we have ever seen. In fact, he is a thousand times better than you could ever imagine right now. He is in a category by himself. Someone we are meant to adore and long for this king. He's better than our wildest, I think, imaginations. So that's why we have all this history. We need all of this. All of that history in order to understand who he is. Why he came. And to adore him. He is the long expected king. We had 400 years of the history of kings. After God gave his promise to David. And do you know. Last week we saw the last king. After the last king of Israel. Now it's been 600 years. Since there's even been a king in Israel. It's been 600 years. Since the last king. 600 years since any son of David sat on the throne. And then the 400 years prior to that, to the promise of David. This is how significant this is. This is how monumental Christmas is, right? Because we wait for Christmas. We can't wait to open those gifts. We have some sense of longing. Imagine this. Imagine how monumental this event in history is. So now in our chapter here, in our text, God is intervening. It's been 400 years since there's been any word from a prophet, since God has spoken. 400 years, even since a prophet has been around. But now as we open the pages of what we call the New Testament, beginning with Jesus and his birth, God is directly intervening and orchestrating with these angelic announcements we read of even this morning. All of this angelic activity, in fact, Our text that we're going to read here, just a moment, is preceded by 
another angelic announcement to this older couple where the wife cannot have children. She is barren. And it comes to say, you're going to have a child in your old age, John the Baptist. And we see that pattern all through the Bible. We've seen it all through the Old Testament. These miraculous births, we would call them, where God intervenes. And always when he is doing that, there's something significant afoot. Something significant happened. So he came prior to this announcement saying to Zacharias and Elizabeth, you're going to have a child in your own age. And we're expecting that's going to be something significant. And he is John the Baptist. But it turns out, as we keep reading the story, that that miraculous birth of John is just a prelude to the main event. That miracle child, John the Baptist, is a forerunner to the one coming who is a thousand times greater than John. John said, I'm not even fit to untie the thong of a sandal. And that's what we have here. Yes, we'll read, it's a similar kind of miraculous birth, but it's in a category all by itself, something we have never seen. Luke chapter 1, let me just read the text and make a couple comments here. It's probably familiar to you. Verse 26, it says, Now... In the sixth month, again, this is on the screen if you want to see it there. Now in the sixth month, the sixth month, that's six months since that prior angelic announcement with Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant now. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And right away we might think, you've got the wrong address. Messiahs don't come from Galilee. They come from Nazareth. And we read this morning in chapter 2 how God orchestrated all this so that this one will be born in Bethlehem. So it's obscure. That's the point of Nazareth. This is, this is Podunk Town. This is Hickville. This is out of the way. This is obscure. That's where it's starting here. It's really amazing. He came, verse 27, to a virgin engaged. So think Mary now, young woman in her teens. Engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's important. The promise fulfilled to David. Joseph is of the house of David. Mary is a virgin who is betrothed. It's kind of like our engagement, but much stronger. Can only break it by divorce. So she's not married yet, but she is betrothed. All these details are important. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one. That is, hail one endued with grace. His favor is upon her. The Lord is with you. Imagine getting that. She was greatly perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. Faith. This is all God's Grace, he's initiating. You have found favor, grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? 
since I have not known man, not sexually, no relationship. She's engaged, but she's not married. I'm a virgin. So she's thinking that this promise, this word is going to come about immediately because she's engaged. She's going to be married sometime in that year. So she's not just thinking, well, sometime when I'm married, this is going to happen. No, she knows this is going to happen now. So she's asking, now, that's, that's humanly impossible. So it's not an unbelief. She just wants to know, well, how that's, how's that going to happen? And we're given this answer. It's the angel's second response to her. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For, and here's the point, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I just make these two observations from the two different responses by the angel. One observation for each response by the angel here. The first is obvious. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Who, who is this child? Who is he going to be? He is the king. We've been singing it. But notice, again, this is our connection back to the book of Kings and the promise to David. That the angel describes the child almost exclusively in terms of the king. Right? That's why you've got to know the book of Kings to appreciate this. He describes him almost exclusively as a king. Do you see it in verse 32? He will be great. That's an understatement. He's going to be greater than any being in the universe. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. Now, remember, every Davidic king, every king descended from David was, in some sense, the Son of God. God said, I'll be a father to him. He'll be a son to me. Because every king was to represent the Father, was to represent God. So he will be the Son of the Most High. We'll see how that is infused with all kinds of new meaning. And the Lord God will give him the throne. So that's kingly language, right? He'll give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. Just a way to describe God's people there forever. And his kingdom will have no end. So there he is. So when I say he's the king, it's not just generically the king. He is, I'll just a couple notes under this. He is the final Davidic king who reigns forever. The fulfillment of the promise to David is here. <laughs> that promise was made a thousand years ago from this point. And again, we've traced the history. It's here. He is the final king. God is true to his word. And this is what he's saying to, to Mary. This one will be king and his throne will be over his people forever. He's going to reign. There will be no end to his kingdom. That's unlike any king we saw, right? They all ended. They all died. Most of them ended badly. But this king will reign forever. So he is the son of David. He comes out of that line of David as the son of David. He is fully human he is the fulfillment of the promise. It is here. That's how the angel describes him. He's the king. But notice also, he is the savior king who rescues God's people forever. That's implied in his name. 
You got that right. Verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you don't get to choose his name. Now, we all like choosing our kids' names. Sorry. You don't get the choice. His name will be Jesus. What's that mean? Yeshua. Yahweh saves. God saves. That's his name, because we read it last week in Matthew, because he will save his people from their sins. His name signals who he is and what he's come to do. So this king is going to be very different than all those kings we looked at. He is going to save, rescue God's people, his people, from their sins. He is a savior king. So this is what the rest of the story is about. As you read the story in the life of Christ, the way that he comes to his throne, his Davidic throne as king, is through his suffering and the cross. That's how you will come to your kingship. This one will. That's the point of the story. He will be a savior king. This is the great plot twist. Perhaps the greatest plot twist in all of literature. Here comes the king. The king of kings we just sang about. Yet born in obscurity. And this great king... The great plot twist is the way you will come to your throne is through death. It's through suffering. It's through the cross, we say. Because it is in that way that you will rescue God's people. It's in that way that you will take the throne. The throne will be the reward of his suffering as the Davidic king. He will be crowned at his exaltation and resurrection after his death. Death, resurrection, Exaltation, that's the crowning of King Jesus on the throne. So, before you see him as king, you see him as savior. So, you receive him as king, you receive him as savior. He came to rescue us. This is his kingship. He's going to do what no king in the book of Kings could do. Remember, we saw that. Some of them were good kings, but they could never rescue people from sin. They couldn't deliver. This king, so different is going to first be the deliverer for us. That's why he takes on flesh. That's why he becomes man. So this is the promise to Mary. This is who this child will be. He's the Davidic king. He's the one who will reign forever. He is Jesus, who will be a savior king. And we should be asking, how do we know this king will be any different than those 40 kings that we already saw. How's this going to come about? How is this one going to be different in the line of David? We've seen this story over and over and over again. And it ends badly. So how is this one different? Second observation and the second response of the angel. Jesus is the son. The son when Mary asked the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. This can't happen humanly. He gives this sublime, breathtaking answer. And says that in verse 35. Yes, it will not be normal conception. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. That's an that's a image there of God's safe, saving presence. He'll overshadow you. 
And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. No other details. It's just breathtaking. There's no prior category for understanding this. There's nothing sexual here, nothing impure. There's no God cohabitating with women. It's not it. This is the direct act and power of the Holy Spirit. Creating conception in the womb of Mary. We speak of the virgin birth. We speak of the virgin conception. Now this is where critics I know go, ah, that Bible that can't be true. That doesn't happen. Well, that's the point. That's the very point. It doesn't happen humanly. That's what he goes on to say is the point. Nothing will be impossible with God. No, it doesn't happen except for God. It is a miracle, absolutely, because of God. But what does it mean? Why this way? This unusual, miraculous, never seen before way. Well, part of the point is to show that indeed nothing is impossible with God, that God comes to bring salvation, that it's all his work. That's what all those prior miracle kind of bursts were in the Bible, that God brings salvation by his grace alone. Well, here we have another category of that with the virgin birth or conception. So it certainly signals that this is God's work and his alone. But notice, I want you to look there, verse 35, and notice what the angel says is the reason for the virgin conception, that it happens this way. He says right there, there, and therefore, or for that reason, this, this is the result of the virgin conception. It reads like this, for that reason, the child shall be called holy, the son of God. So just note this. His, Jesus' conception by the power of the Holy Spirit reveals that he is uniquely the Son of God. So he's the Son in the sense of all those other kings, but his Son is uniquely the Son. Son like no other Son will be. So the point of no human biological father is to say God is uniquely his Father. God is uniquely the Father. So Jesus is the Son, and it invests this Son language with a uniqueness and meaning far beyond any Son of David that breaks every category. So this, this kind of conception here by the power of God directly in Mary's womb points to the divine nature of this person, this Son. We call that his incarnation. So Frank read for us earlier from John 1, this eternal son called the word, eternally existing as God. He's never created, begotten, not created. God begets God. God God creates human beings. God gives birth to God, so to speak, in that language. That is, he's always existing. He just issues from the father eternally. And that word became flesh. He took on a human nature. So that's why we refer to the incarnation. The eternal son took on flesh by being conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. That's what this points to. That's why this is really important. He is uniquely the son. And then notice, last note here, his conception by the power of the Holy Spirit is why he is holy. Again, do you see it there in verse 35? For that 
reason the child shall be called holy, the Son of God. Holy in a category that no one has been called holy. He is free from inherited sin, the corruption of sin. This is what every king in the book of Kings lacked. There's no king like this. This is what every human being lacks. All of us born in sin. But as we read the story of Jesus, he is sinless. The only human being ever. And part of that, it goes right back here to this virgin conception by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I I think that works a couple ways. The fact that he has no human father means, I think legally, he's not in Adam. It breaks that legal relationship, that imputed guilt from Adam. He's not in Adam. In fact, he is the new Adam. He's the first man of the new creation. That's the work of the Spirit here. Spirit's at work. He's the first man of the new creation. And then the Holy Spirit is what keeps him from the corruption of sin in his conception, in his birth, in his nature. So he is sinless. So we ask the question, how will this king be any different? (laughs) He is categorically different. As the divine, eternal son taking on a human nature to live, the divine son living in and through the human nature fully as a human being, but God in the flesh without sin. That's who he is. And that's why he's king forever. So, finish with this one takeaway. Jesus is the only person in the universe fit to die in our place and to rule as the perfect king. Is it important that he was sinless? (laughs) Well, absolutely. Because he comes to represent us as that second Adam. He comes to die in our place. He takes our sin. He has no sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is the spotless lamb of God who is offered up in our place. He is God in the flesh, God substituting himself in the person of his son for us to bear his wrath, to bear our sin, that God might be just. So is it important that he's sinless? Absolutely, that he might die in our place and that he might rule as the perfect king. So imagine now For a moment, as we close, a king, not limited in wisdom, not limited in power, not limited in goodness, not limited in love toward his subjects. Perfect. That's the king we long for. That's the king we have. King Jesus. Do you know that king on this Christmas and all that we've been singing of? Do you know him? Do you know him first as Savior who has rescued you and then as Lord, as King? He is reigning now and one day we will see that reign forever and be part of it. That's what Christmas is all about. The long expected King has come, he's rescued and he reigns. Receive this gift of heaven. Let me pray and then we'll sing to close our service.
Thank you for the gift of heaven, Lord, your only begotten Son. Full of mystery for us and miracle how he came, conceived in the virgin's womb, as your unique and only Son. Oh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might adore him as our King, as our Savior, as our Lord, and that our hope might be in him alone on this Christmas morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.